Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is September the 2nd, and our chapter for today is Acts chapter 7. Well, as we have seen before, sometimes the chapter divisions come at a place that is inappropriate and inconvenient in reading through the great story of God. So is the case here. If there was a chapter heading, then it should come somewhere around chapter 6 and verse 7. Because after the story is told about all of the fussing and everything that was going on, the murmuring and the complaining, and the great plan of God and the wisdom of God that was given to the apostles to begin to set aside those who would be official servants in the church that would help the widows and help those who could not help themselves, to keep harmony in the church, to be apologists for the gospel of the Son of God. All of this is developed in chapter 6. And when the church of Jesus stops fussing, and they stop fighting, and they stop moaning and groaning and complaining because they're not being taken care of, then it says in verse 7 of chapter 6, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied, not addition, but multiplication, greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, who are we talking about, these priests? You see, it's not talking about the high priest and his family and the immediate people around him, but the priests were divided up according to courses, whether it was a monthly cycle, or it was a weekly cycle. Just giving you an example, once a month, these courses of men would come and do service in the tabernacle. Then they would go back to doing the jobs that they would do to make a living. Then they'd come back when it was their turn again and do it again. They had jobs. They did whatever they need to do. It was like they were in the army, but they were in the reserves, but they still had to serve a week, a month, a weekend, a month, whatever the case was, or two weeks a year or a month a year, whatever it was. This is what was happening with John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, Zacharias, when he was in the temple doing his duty, fulfilling his course and his assignment. But when that was finished, when he had done his duty, after Gabriel had uh, spoken to him, he went back to his home and went about the business of making a living and of being with his wife. You see, this is the way that it was done in the Bible. It wasn't that there were thousands and thousands of priests. It is estimated that at this time, when Acts chapter 7 was written, that there were 8,000 priests that were involved in the rotation of service in the temple. It took a lot of priests to do the work, and they didn't all do the same thing. They had various assignments they did, but it would wear people out if the same ones did the same thing all the time. And so they were in shifts. And so it was the priests that were working on a rotational basis, 
that many of them heard the message of Messiah Jesus, and they believed and they became obedient to the faith. No doubt they did their job better after they came to find out what it really meant to be in there sacrificing, working in the temple, seeing all of these rituals going on and knowing the fulfillment of those rituals. That doesn't mean that they stopped. It just means that they now were serving with more knowledge and they were committed to the Messiah. They have become followers of Jesus. And it says a great many of them. That is a phenomenal statement. And then it goes on to pick up the narrative of one of those servants that the elders had appointed. Now, the elders led the servants serve the congregation and serve the people. And in doing that, they served the elders and freed them up to do what God had called them to do. One of those was Stephen. Now, the name Stephen is a transliteration, letter for letter, from the Greek language into our English language. It's a transliteration. The translation, the meaning of Stephen is crown. Not crown as in diadema, that's another Greek word, a diadem. That is a crown that is given for a king or a queen or royalty, and it is by birthright. However, the word Stephanos or Stephania, if you are a female, your name would be Stephanie in our English language, or Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. And that means victor's crown. That is what would be given to someone who won the Olympic Games during the days of the Greco-Roman world or the Ismanian Games. They would be a victor in some way or another. And so Stephen was certainly that in the fulfillment of his name. And it says, Stephen, full of faith and power, the word power is the word dunamis, which means divine enablement. God had so enabled him, gifted him, that he did wonders and signs. The word wonders is the word miracles. It's samion. He did miracles. He performed miracles. We shouldn't be surprised by that. It wasn't Stephen that was doing this, but it was his divine enablement. God had granted him the ability to do that, to call upon the Lord, and the Lord would answer his prayer, the prayer of faith, the prayer of knowing God's will and acting on it. And signs, that's the word for signs, just like any other thing, that these are markers that indeed what he was doing was from the Lord himself. The message that he preached, that so many priests believe and others, was a message that was accompanied by divine enablement and divine trust and rest. And this was displayed throughout Stephen's life. Then it says, there arose some from among what is called the synagogue of the free men. Now, that's the way that some versions translate it. But it is the word libertine. These were men who had been freed. There were Cyrenians, they were Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. Now, there's a couple of schools of thought about who these are. I believe they were Jews that had been imprisoned by the Romans, and then they had been freed. I don't believe it's proselytes as such. I believe they were men who had been at one time in captivity, probably by Rome, and been set free, and they had same shared experiences, and they hung out together. And so they were a part of a synagogue, of a Beit Knesset, of a gathering place. And they started disputing with Stephen. They were Hellenists. 
They were people who had a certain viewpoint about the scriptures, and they disputed with Stephen. They argued with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit with which he spoke. In other words, they couldn't win an argument with him because he had the goods. He was accurate. He was true. He knew the word of God. He knew the Tanakh. Remember, the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, was the only Bible that John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles had because the New Testament, the Berit HaDashah, had never been written yet. And so they had to know the Tanakh, the Old Testament. They had to know it like the back of their hand. They had to know and prove and be able to show that Jesus is the Messiah according to biblical prophecy. And this is what Stephen was doing. And they could not dispute what he was saying. He would say, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy by doing this. Uh, the prophet said this. Jesus fulfilled that. The prophet said that the Messiah would be like this, and Jesus did it. And they couldn't say anything. Jesus performed miracles showing that he was the Messiah. He said what the Messiah would say. He went where the Messiah would go. He was born where the Messiah would be born. He died where the Messiah would be died. He said on the cross what the Messiah was prophesied would say. And so Stephen began to over and over show them the truth of God, and they just couldn't take it. This what is happening in our culture today is that if you cannot show somebody the truth in a way that is winsome and you cannot with substance win a debate, then what you do in this culture is you begin to tear down and try to destroy the character of that person and the witness of that person and the reputation of that person. We see it in politics, yes, but we see it in the church of Jesus. Somebody doesn't like what someone does. Somebody gets jealous over someone else. Instead of them trying to work things out, they just try to destroy their character. This happens all the time with pastors. This happens with deacons. This happens with members of the church, one with another. What happens? Well, verse 11 says, when these kinds of attitudes develop in people, then they secretly induced secretly, that is, they recruited these men to say, well, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They said he slandered Moses and God, the lawgiver and God himself. And he stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him. They seized him and brought him to the council, to the Sanhedrin. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, and they saw his face as the face of an angel. Now, all of this should be part of chapter 7. Because it's telling the story, giving the background of Stephen's great message that he gives in chapter 7. But I want you to know the charges they brought against him. They are there very plain in the text. It says in verse 13, they said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. So they said he's a blasphemer, and he's blasphemed. Uh, he slandered the temple, this holy place, that God allowed us to build as a worship center. He has slandered and blasphemed the law, and we've heard him say that Jesus is going to destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. This is who he's following. In other words, he's a heretic. 
Now, first of all, Jesus never said he was going to change the law, but the customs that he's talking about are Talmudic. And the Talmud is a great book. The Mishnah and the Gemara that make up the Talmud are wonderful. They are, it's a commentary on the law and then a commentary on the commentary. And the Jews have been doing this since the Exodus, which was 3,400 years ago. But it's not the Word of God. It is people's thoughts and opinions on what God meant in the Torah, what God meant in the prophets, what God meant in the writings. And men miss it that are not under divine inspiration. Jesus never contradicted Torah. He never went against the law of God. After all, he's the one that gave it to Moses. The Spirit of God is the one that inspired Moses to write down what he did. Moses didn't come up with that on his own. But Jesus said, this place is going to be destroyed. And by the way, if a prophecy is made and it doesn't come true, then that prophet is a false prophet. But here, what Jesus said did come true. It didn't come true immediately, no more than what had been prophesied in the Old Testament. It didn't happen that day immediately, sometimes for a decade, sometimes for years. But indeed, in 70 AD, what Jesus said did happen. And all Stephen was doing was being the messenger boy to deliver the message that Jesus had given to them. And then in chapter 7, he begins to start with the Abrahamic covenant, and he goes all the way through the Exodus talking about how that God is faithful to his word. So you can follow it. It's a long chapter, and it's just Stephen being the great defender of the faith. He goes through Moses and his life, and he talks about how the people of God rebelled against Moses. Now, you see, we're living in a day when even believers who are supportive of Israel just go crazy and love Israel more than they love God. Listen, I'm in Israel as I'm making this podcast. I'm teaching men of God about the truth of God's word. I love Israel. I don't know anybody that loves Israel more than I do because God loves them. That's the reason I love the Jewish people is because God loves them and they are the pupil of his eye. They are the apple of his eye. But I can tell you this much, just because they are God's chosen people doesn't mean that they don't go astray. And we are not going to be true to God if we exempt Israel from preaching to them the truth of God's word and calling for repentance when that's what the prophets did. That's what Jesus did. That's what Moses did. That's what Elijah did. That's what all the great prophets did. And yet when you say something to a Jewish person today about repentance, that's somehow anti-Semitic. Well, I can tell you, we can go overboard on anti-Semitism. Because always everything you say to someone about living a godly life according to the book that God inspired their ancestors to write, that doesn't mean you're anti-Semitic. This is very important because you see what happens is even Jews and notoriously Jews get into a habit of doing things and of looking at something a certain way and they think that anything that is out of their tradition is sin. That's not true. The Word of God is the final authority, not the Talmud. And the Talmud is just man's thoughts about what this means or what that means, and all that's helpful, but it's not on the par and level of the Word of God. And so Stephen was simply bringing this up and saying, there has been rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. 
at the worship centers and the temple and the tabernacle. And he comes down to verse 51, and he's just had it because he sees that they're not listening to him. And he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. By the way, the same thing Isaiah said. Same thing Jeremiah said. Same thing Hosea, Joel, Amos. We could go down the line, Ezekiel. And he said, you are a stiff-necked people. God said this through Moses to Israel. God said this to, and you can name any prophet, and he said the same thing. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? That's just what I just said. And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, talking about Jesus, the Messiah, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, said you're the one that betrayed the Lord because you didn't listen to him and you had him murdered, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. This was a strong, strong message. And the Bible says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. That is, they gritted their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried with a loud voice. They put their hands over their ears. They ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. I believe Stephen was stoned the same place Jesus was crucified outside the Damascus gate. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's Saul of Tarsus that we pick up the narrative on him in chapter 9. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not lay to their charge this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. This is a great story about a great man who gave his life in defense of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile have the same message. Repent and give your life completely to the God of heaven who has sent his son, the Messiah, Jesus. He is the only way. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.